Hello, I'm Penelope Jenkins from the Knowledge Centre and today I'm talking to Dr Charlotte Matheson, an Associate Fellow in the Department of English and Comparative Literature Studies at Warwick. Hello Charlotte. You've written about mobility and travel in Bleak House. Can you tell us a bit please about the wider context of travel in the 19th century and why this is an important context for the novel? Yes, the mid-19th century was a period of huge expansion in travel possibilities, both on global and national levels. The transport revolution had been taking effect for some time. From the late 18th to early 19th century, there was a really gradual increase in travel. But the mid-19th century signalled this crucial defining moment in reshaping the possibilities of travel. There were huge technological advancements in steam power technology, railway networks rapidly spread across the country, and global travel and transport networks also advanced especially in European travel, but also further afield. And so in Dickens's novels, we repeatedly see characters go to places like India, China, Australia. We've got Woodcourt and Bleak House, Jack Malden, David Copperfield, McCorbers in um, David Copperfield as well. So there's this sense throughout um, the novels, surrounding the novels, that the world is becoming more connected, more contracted even, and a sense of real possibility, but also anxiety for Britons. There's this constant tension between embracing or resisting the possibility of travel. And um, what is it about Bleak House that sparked your academic interest? Ostensibly, Bleak House isn't really about travel in any real sense. The movements of the main characters are really restricted between three key locations. We've got London, Bleak House and Chesney Wold. And a couple of instances of global travel, such as Woodcourt or um, the Deadlocks go to Paris. But on an initial reading, it doesn't really seem to demonstrate much engagement with wider travel culture. And indeed, critics have often noticed that this is one of Dickens's most restrictively national of novels. But what really struck me as fascinating about the novel is as you read it more and more, you notice just how mobile everyone is. It's a really um, a novel in which mobility absolutely permeates the text. There's a vast number of characters throughout Bleak House and nearly everyone moves. And it's not just the fact that they move as such, it's that this is always depicted in an interesting way. Characters are often described through their mobility. It's used as a facet of class differences or as a metaphorical descriptive term. So mobility is really permeating the text on a lot of different levels. And whilst in a lot of ways it's not surprising that there should be such a variety of mobility, given that the novel is composed of such a vast network of socially diverse characters, who all obviously have to be brought into contact with one another. What I really found through researching this was that mobility comes to form a preoccupation of the novel's representational strategies. It's a surface-level concern. It repeatedly draws us to look further into how these different forms of mobility operate. That's great, thank you. Um, can you tell me about the theme of mobility in the novel? They're obviously uh, very widespread there. Yes, I mean, one of the fundamental ways in which it's working is in bringing together the different networks of characters. So we've got acts of mobility obviously bring people into contact with one another. Spaces of mobility also often offer places for cross-class encounters or the chance meeting. We might think, for example, of Lady Deadlock and Joe, the poor street boy. Uh, Joe leads her through the city streets in the novel. And these are the two most extreme ends of the class spectrum converging here in a joint act of mobility. And Joe is really an interesting example in the novel because he shows that mobility isn't just incidental to this network, it's not just a, an obvious facet of it, but that the novel is really making use of specific types of mobility to particular effect. As one of the urban poor, Joe is mobile as a result of his poverty. He's always been moved on from one place to another. He has nowhere else to go. He says at one point, I've always been moving and moving on ever since I was born. Where can I possibly move to? 
So this mobility is engendered by his social position, but it's this that makes him instrumental within a number of different networks and positions him as one of the key characters in the novel's structure. So I think the novel really repeatedly draws us back to the idea of the possibility of mobility, what it can do, what it enables, what kind of connections it can create. And it's always calling attention to the uses of mobility in the operation of this complex network. The novel really centres around this question of what connection is there. It asks us what connection can there be between many people in the histories of this world who from opposite sides of great gulfs have been curiously brought together. And the novel keeps answering to us mobility. It's not just the connections themselves, it's the movements that produce those connections that really come to be of central importance and interest throughout the novel. How does mobility interact with the social projects of the novel? One of the things that Dickens was doing with Bleak House is constructing a vision of British culture which really encompasses an array of characters from a variety of different social levels and backgrounds. And he's showing how they're all interconnected with one another. So the roots of these connections therefore lie in mobility. But mobility also operates as a crucial mode through which the novel plays out its critique of contemporary society and social inequality. By depicting every character through a particular type of mobility, which accords with their social status, mobility really becomes a means of contrasting and drawing attention to social inequality. It makes visible that inequality and the effects that it has. So, for example, Joe's enforced mobility, the fact that he's always moving on and being made to walk, is contrasted by a character like Tulkinghorn, the lawyer, whose effortless movement between places is often made note of. He's described as melting in and out of Chesney Wold in London, as if he's never been away. He's always slipping and sliding between different places in this really effortless manner. And so he really has command over his movements in the space through which he moves. And so the novel's showing us, um, through mobility, through these contrasting types of mobility, the effects of social inequality in terms of who has control over space, their movements, and how they can operate. So, um, yeah, you said the poor have to move, mainly around London. Um, what about global travel for the richer characters? Yes, well, there are some instances of movement beyond Britain. The Deadlocks, for example, because of their social position, they too journey between Paris and London. We've got Woodcourt, who goes to India as a ship surgeon. Again, we've got their mobility for work. He goes to India for the possibilities of work. So these are structurally important journeys. So we might think, for example, of what happens as a result of Woodcourt being removed from the narrative and how that allows for certain developments on Esther's part. But typically of many Victorian novels, we don't actually follow those journeys in the course of the narrative. We don't see what happens on them for the most part. And the novel really demonstrates some ambivalence around global travel in doing this. But also, near the end of the novel, we might think of that scene where Esther visits Deal, situated on the Kent coast, so she travels to the borders of England. And as she walks along the beach, there's this image of the coast being shrouded in fog. It's protected from what lies beyond the shore. There's this real sense that Britain is encompassed by this protective fog. And then as she walks on, there's this wonderful image of the fog beginning to rise. And Dickens describes how it rises like a curtain, so that great numbers of ships become visible, all lined up along the shore waiting to come closer. And there's this real sense in this scene that the global is not only close at hand, but also pressing in upon Britain. And it's really only a matter of time before that border, the fog, breaks down. And there's this sense throughout the passage of the dissolution of the fog and, and the global kind of gradually encroaching closer. 
And so the novel retreats from this. It constructs instead an idea of a tight, interconnected Britain, a mobile Britain, which is brought together through its mobile networks. And it's not really then until Little Dorrit that Dickens really begins to engage with the possibilities of global travel. Well, thank you ever so much for talking to us today, Charlotte. There are more podcasts and features celebrating Dickens' life and work at www.warwick.ac.uk forward slash Dickens.